This is the Kona Edge, the home of Ironman triathletes who dream of qualifying for the World Championships on the Big Island. Welcome on to yet another edition of the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown. It's awesome to have you with us. Thank you for listening. We had some great feedback uh, from our story last week. Uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, story where we headed to Norway to catch up with uh, Hans Christian, age group world champion here on uh, the podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet, do yourself a favor. Go back and check it out. Today we head to Australia to catch up with another phenomenal age group. But before I get into that, uh, don't forget if you haven't touched base with us on Facebook, we've got uh, a pretty cool Facebook group. If you head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash Facebook, we're going to be doing a whole bunch more live stuff in there. So uh, looking, um, thinking about it, I'd love to get your feedback. Thinking of chatting to uh, a couple of pros, almost like uh, the live online seminars that we did uh, in 2016, but doing them live on Facebook. So uh, if that's something you'd be interested in, make sure you head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash Facebook. You can get uh, free access to that Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group uh, right now, and that's uh, thekonaedge.com forward slash Facebook. Let's get straight into today's episode, though. Enough of me yakking, uh, and let's touch base with Jared Harvey. Well, we head to Brisbane now, just uh, just outside Brisbane, to catch up with Jared Harvey on the Cone Edge. Jared, welcome on to the podcast. Thanks for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brad. Jared, it's great to catch up. I love chatting to, to triathletes from uh, pretty much every single corner uh, of the world. And uh, you being Australia, I mean, climate, and it's very similar to 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 what we're experiencing here in Cape Town. It's uh, There are worse places on the planet to live and, and train for, for, for triathlons than, than Brisbane, where you live. It's, uh, it's a great part of the world, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, uh, during the summer, we get really good weather. We get good daylight, so you can fit fit a lot of training in um, and as you said it's, it's pretty good conditions for most racing around the world you can get a lot of good training in um, and be confident that'll set yourself up conditions wise for most places in the world so yeah can't complain Could it, be worse. it can get pretty hot and humid and, and muggy there as well which is uh, which is great for for a race like Kona which we're going to chat about quite a bit later but uh, you, you've almost got a bit of an unfair advantage although it's southern hemisphere when you uh, it's winter because you're in the southern hemisphere when you're training for Kona but you you get to spend a lot of time in those sort of conditions yeah that's right I mean the timing of Kona's um, you know not great from Queensland um, perspective yeah like we, we're kind of coming out of our winter but um, yeah often in, in Queensland where we're at as well we get the afternoon storms and then so the next day the humidity is just through the roof so um, yeah we get used to those sort of conditions and I think yeah um, kind of last year it definitely helped um, having trained in those conditions and just getting used to sweating all the time and being uncomfortable in those conditions I think really helped um, yeah Getting comfortable being uncomfortable, I think, is probably the best way to to sum it up. Jared, let, yeah, let's let's take a step back and 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 talk about you growing up and 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 sporting sort of uh, achievements and and what you got up to as a as a youngster. I know most Aussies uh, do play a lot of sport growing up. Were you were you no different? Yeah, no, I, I pretty much at school I tried my hand in pretty well everything. Hey, I um, yeah, I, I really liked cross-country running i was very very tiny as a kid um so running i was a terrible sprinter but long distance anything probably over 1500 um i just absolutely love and then my older brother did a triathlon once for fun and i went along to watch with um with dad and then 
yeah, I just thought, how good was this? And at the time, I was just, I was a terrible swimmer. Um, I was a terrible swimmer until I was probably about 22 or 23. And um, uh, But yeah, then I, I really liked the, the variety of triathlon and mum and dad really supportive. We lived probably 45 minutes away from, you know, any other sort of major town. We kind of lived in the bush and they'd drive us in to do trainings and things. And um, yeah, but it was triathlon that I got hooked on and um, yeah, had a bit of success as a youngster, made Queensland schools teams and things like that. And, um, but yeah, kind of when I left school, I kind of had just done too much too early and I just was a little bit, a um, little bit sick of it. So um, I stopped it then um, pretty briefly and then actually um, had a dabble around in AFL um, for a little while. <laughs> played, a, played a bit of AFL around Brisbane um, and then about 23, I actually saw um, footage of uh, Josh Amberger racing. And I remember back in the Queensland schools team's um, days and I thought, oh, you know, I used to be just behind this bloke and um, tell you then I thought oh, I'm just going to get back into this again and, and got back in love with it so I've been doing it since Brilliant, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the stint playing a bit of AFL and, and for those who, who don't know, Aussie rules football is, is pretty big in, in Australia I think it's probably the biggest team sport, it's bigger than, than, than cricket and rugby, correct me if I'm wrong uh, Jared, is that, is that correct? Yeah, AFL um, in Australia is is our biggest sport. I mean, down in Queensland, um, we're not that big in Queensland, but if you go down through Victoria, um, yeah, all through Melbourne, um, even over uh, Western Australia, Perth, Fremantle, um, yeah, it, it's the game that's probably truly played Australia-wide. Rugby league is pretty big in Queensland, New South Wales, uh, but AFL is definitely the sport. So I was pretty lucky. I did a bit of work with um, Brisbane Lions Reserves and things like that, and um, but yeah, it just wasn't me. I was, I was probably a bit scrawny, to be honest. I got pushed around a fair bit out there, so um, made the decision to go back triathlon pretty easy. It, it, very different sports, though, as well. Obviously, with the team dynamic in, in AFL, uh, triathlon is a, a very solo sport. Uh, as much as you need a, a support system around you on the day, it's it's about you, and, and you're not relying on teammates. Did, did, do you miss that about team sports? Is that one thing you like about triathlon? What's to, Tell me about that dynamic. Yeah, in some ways I, in some ways I miss you know parts of the AFL. But you know when you go to training and things, you've got forty other blokes around you, and um, it's kind of shared pain. It's like half the pain type of thing. Um, triathlon. I've got a really good group of friends and mates that do triathlon um, that I can train with. You know some of the time, but there. I also like the fact that um, you know when you go out and do a triathlon, it's it's you. Um, if something doesn't go right on the day, you know, t- unless it's a mechanical or something like that, that most times you can just look within and find where you can improve. And it's kind of the balls in your court. Like if you have a good day, you've worked for it, you haven't put in the work and you have a bad day, you, you kind of know that as well. There's, there's not really anyone else to blame, um, which is a good thing about triathlon. It keeps you very honest. And um, yeah, so I definitely enjoy that about it. Talk to me about the the comeback after you decided you know what AFL was cool, but you want to get back into into try. When did, did did you start with the shorter ones? When did you sort of transition over to to the longer stuff? Yeah, so pretty much with with the AFL stuff, um, did a bit of gym stuff because um, I was always very very scrawny. 
um, as a kid. Um, so the AFL, we did a fair bit of work in the gym and I actually put on um, quite a bit of weight. So prior to going across to the AFL, I used to sit um, probably about 78 kilos, something like that. And when I was finished with the AFL, I was nudging 90. Um, I'm 185, 100, yeah, 185 centimetres tall. So, um, yeah, I was, I was nudging low 90s there. So I'd put on a fair bit of um, upper body muscle. And then, yeah, the main thing was to was to try and drop some of that muscle again because obviously 90 kilo, if you want to get serious about triathlon, is pretty, pretty heavy, um, you know, to be at the pointy end of things. And, um, yeah, so I kind of just wor- worried about um, – trying to strip some weight down to start with. And then, yeah, got back into just some little local Olympic distance. and um, But the intention was always to go um, 70.3. And ever since I got into triathlon when I was you know, 14, 13, um, it was always I wanted to do Kona one day. Um, so, yeah, when I came back, I'd, I I figured I'd kind of miss the boat with the whole ITU thing. I was too old. You know, by the time I came back, I was 23. And most of the ITU guys have, have made it by then, so... Yeah, I just went straight back into the long course. Um, I thought that was best suited for for my type of strength. What What would you say is your your wheelhouse as far as race distance goes? What is your where, where do you think you perform best and 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 sort of suits you best? Yeah, I, I really want to be um, an Ironman uh, professional in, in the future. Um, I think even as a youngster, I, I just had no speed and I. I just can't run as fast as those guys off the bike. And it's something that I'm working with or continuing to work at now. Um, but the longer, the better for me. And I really enjoy the challenge of Ironman being um, you You can be really, really fit, but you could still have a terrible day if you're not smart, um, if you don't get your nutrition right. And there's a lot of things that come together to make a good performance. And it's not, not just... Ability, obviously, ability plays a massive part, and the training that you've done plays a massive part. But I think um, having you, you know using your brain when you're racing as well, and, and making sure you, you're not exceeding yourself too early. Um, I mean, the distance itself is a killer. You don't you don't need to help it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Tell tell me, you, you mentioned when you first got exposed to Kona, you you always knew that that's what you you wanted or where you wanted to go as a as a as a teenager can you remember your first sort of exposure to kona as as an event and 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 what your thoughts were when you first heard of it um i I actually remember i i never saw it as um on tv as a teenager growing up um but i knew that you know the guys like crowey and uh and maca were killing it overseas and um, and especially being out in the bush and that as well we we're, I've got a massive family, so I'm one of ten kids. So getting time on a computer to watch it or TV was pretty rare. So <laughs> there's only one TV, to, one TV to go around. So um, yeah, like I knew that event existed, um, but it probably wasn't until you know I was 23 when I started to when I found out that um, you know there's this whole 70.3 and Iron Man, um, you know. Um, side of the sport that I really got interested in it and um, yeah met up with some friends and, and they were just as interested if not more than I was and that was uh, Pete Jacobs started to do really well Crow was on on the back had some some really good success um, yeah so that kind of just got me hooked and um, 
yeah, just the landscape and it just looked like a tough event. And yeah, it's just something that I've I always wanted to do. Um, yeah. Holy smokes! One one of ten kids. It must have been pretty competitive in that household. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. Dead set race downstairs to get your cocoa pops in the morning. If you're out of bed late, you'd miss out. But uh, <laughs> um, no, it, it was good. I, I mean, it goes back to what I said earlier. We played heaps of sports. Um, Mum and dad were always getting up us because we used to drop the mower down real low and lower like mower pitch into the middle and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we had really good backyard cricket games because we got enough for a whole team. So, um, yeah, we just played everything. Our house out of Boona, where I grew up, is in front of the squash courts, tennis courts, uh, rugby league fields and soccer fields for the whole town. So, And and across from the old pool as well. So uh, we had a pretty good, yeah. Uh, are your siblings pretty sporty now? Uh, not so much now. I mean, they, they're still active and things, but they don't. Uh, I've got one that does 70.3s. Another one's doing her first um, at Sunny Coast later this year. Uh, but they just kind of do it for fun and leisure. But um, they were all um, pretty talented um, athletes at a younger age. Um, my younger sister, Kelsey, actually got third at um, Australian Nationals one year. She was very talented. So, uh, But, yeah, they just do it for leisure now. All right, cool. T- t- tell me a little bit about your first experience of Ironman uh, and 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 going that sort of distance, having done the shorter, the shorter maybe maybe the odd seventy point three. T- t- talk to me about your first first full distance Ironman. Yeah, uh, my first full it was, it, I ha- I really I kind of I think I rushed into it. Well, I did rush into it, but um, it turned out alright. I was originally entered uh, for Port Macquarie in two thousand and fifteen. Uh, but I just, I just wasn't ready, and I kind of, I entered because I just got jealous of my mates had already done one, um, and I, <laughs> I just wanted to get it done. So I entered it, and then I wasn't ready, so I postponed until uh, Busso, which is December of 2015. Um, and then, unfortunately, pardon me, as soon as I got um, the transfer came through from Ironman, I, I got ITB problems really bad in my left, left leg, my left knee. And I couldn't run for ages and then I got that sorted and because we treated the left leg so much and then I got it in the right leg and I was six weeks out from Busso and I hadn't run more than 12K. So I was, I was thinking of pulling the pin and, but my swimming um, had really improved over that time because I just swum, swum, swum. And yeah, I went to Busso. I can't, I, I, my main goal was just to beat one of my, my, he's my best friend and his time was 10.42. Um, so that, that was my goal in my head. I just wanted to beat 10.42 and I got out of the water. It was a really choppy day um, at Busso that year and uh, the rain was like coming in from the side. So I swam an hour, which I was happy with for the conditions um, and then I biked to 4.52. Um, biking is, is my, my go-to leg and then somehow I, I managed to run a 3.32 um, and I came away with second. I'm in my age division and a slot to Kona. So, yeah, I was absolutely wrapped, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, going into the race, obviously coming off that injury, you, you obviously didn't go in with any expectations of bagging a Kona slot. It must have come as, as quite a surprise. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I literally just went there to finish. And I thought, you know, after this, I can call myself an Ironman. You know, all those sort of thoughts, no one can ever take it away from you. Um. And yeah, when I got out and swim, my uh, she wasn't then my fiance, uh, my girlfriend. I actually asked her to marry me the day after the race. 
Um, but yeah, my girlfriend at the time said, um, you're coming second. And I'd, I'd kind of figured that there'd be two Kona slots for my age. Um, so then on the bike, yeah, I'd, I'd just put the hammer down and managed to hold on for the run. They were coming for me in the run, but um, yeah, managed to just hold on. So very, very, very lucky and over the moon there. Yeah, yeah it, must, it, it must have been a cool feeling, bagging that slot, not, not really going there, chasing it. I mean, we chat to a lot of athletes who... Who, who work for years and, and, and put in the hard graft and, and maybe miss it by a, a spot or two, but going out first time out, not expecting to get it and picking it up, uh, it must take a bit of pressure off you. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I felt pretty bad um, at the awards ceremony because Pete Murray, the commentator there, has a little spiel for everyone. And, you know, I was the, the last age group. I was 18 to 24 um, male at that point and I was the last kind of age group to um, to get announced and um, everyone else is saying oh, I've tried 10, 15 times and then he said how many Ironmans you know and I said I oh, asked my first one everyone just clapped and yahoo but I kind of felt bad but yeah I, I didn't know how to take it um, yeah, I kept going over registration and just double checking there was actually two slots and I wasn't I wasn't dreaming so yeah I never expected to, to go over there and uh, especially because, yeah, six weeks out, I was thinking of pulling the pin and um, and not going. So, yeah, all my family and, and partner was just like, no, I just go and have a crack and he'll finish it and, you know, put this one under the belt and then get it another time. So, yeah, to get it on the first go was just, yeah, out of this world. I couldn't believe it. From a timing perspective, obviously Ironman Western Australia and Bustleton, like you said, is in December. Kona the following year, almost it's almost a year basically till till Kona. Was was that a good thing yeah. or a bad thing? Would you have rather done it in, in like qualified a couple of months before and then use that as the build up to Kona? You almost have to stop and then start again in the build up to to Kona after qualifying in December. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because it's the first um, qualifying race uh, in Australia, so. Typically for, for Kona the following year, so typically um, it gets a really good field. Go to that one. Um, I'd actually changed um, coach from a previous coach. I went to being coached by Tim Reed in about March of 2015. Uh, so I chatted with Reedy after the race, and he just said, uh, "To be honest, he, he actually thinks it's perfect because I can get the whole build right for Kona. Um, I don't have the pressure of having to go to say like a Port Macquarie, and then if I miss, gonna chase a spot again at Cairns." And then by that time, you've done you know, three to four Ironmans in the calendar year and you're suddenly really fatigued. Um, so I was pretty happy with the way that um, it panned out and to get it so early. It allowed me to have a really good break and the pressure was off. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did uh, Geelong 70.3, um, Cairns 70.3, Sunny Coast, um, and that worked really well up in Tacoma. Did you, did you uh, Sunny Coast, is that, a, is that a half or is that a, a yeah, full? So, yeah, so okay. I, I did Busso as my first full, and then Kona was my second um, ever full. That's interesting. Do you think that's the way to go? Not not having a if you, if you are qualifying that far in advance, not doing another full Ironman in the build up to Kona. Do you think that that played to to your strengths? Um, I think I think yes and no. Like I was definitely fresh. Um, I, I got my build to Kona uh, really really spot on. Um, I got there and I. Um, it, like I got used to the conditions, but I knew probably a couple of days out that I was going to have a, a good day um, if I put it all together. But then, you know, I've seen some other people that have qualified late at Cairns, um, which only gives them probably, you know, just under three months turnaround. 
um, to Kona and they still managed to nail it. So I think for me, just being able to kind of switch off training mode um, and then just, just enjoy Christmas, enjoy the New Year's period and then really set our plan and um, get those races right leading into Kona really um, helped me. Yeah, so personally, I think it was a good thing for me. And, and Bustleton's quite a... It's a fast course. Uh, it's it's not the the hilliest. It's it's pretty flat by all accounts. Uh, is, is that do you think that plays into your strengths as well? Do you like those sort of courses, or do you prefer the the hillier, tougher ones? Um, for for my strengths, I, I actually prefer the hillier, um, the tougher ones. So um, it probably worked in my favour. Yeah, everything just kind of fell um, really well for me. Buster that year it was probably the one year in recent memory where. It was the rain was just coming in from the side. It was quite windy. Um, so being a strong biker, that really played into my hands. And, and the way that the course is out there as well, it's through like rainforesty type of um, terrain and, and quite flat. So if you can get out of sight, you kind of you get out of mind and people just forget you're up the road. Um, so it worked really well. Like I, I just yeah put power down early in the bike and managed to get a break. And then, um, as I said, just held on for the run. But... Um, typically for me, I'd like, yeah, the harder the bike course, the better. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I, I'm contemplating doing Bustleton at the end of, of this year. And I think a lot of people look at a, a course that's fairly flat and they think, oh, that's, that's easy. But they, they come with their own set of challenges. Uh, a flat course, you've got to work all day. There's no letting up. You, you can't back off. It's, uh, it, it might look easy, but it's, but it's not. Yeah, that's right. It's effectively like getting on the wind trainer for five hours, five, six hours, um, and the road surface over there, there's, it's it's not uh, your hot mix that you might find elsewhere. It's uh, the, the the seals a little, it's, it's quite bumpy um, through some areas. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's quite tough. I mean, with with hillier courses, at least you get the downhills to kind of recuperate a little bit and get your nutrition in. But yeah, a course like Busso just being pancake flat, it's um, yeah, as I said, it, it's effectively like jumping on a wind trainer. You stop pedaling. You stop going anywhere, so yeah, it can be pretty tough. <laughs> Not necessarily a good thing. Let's talk Kona and, <laughs> and and your experience on the Big Island. It's uh, it's a mystical place. If if I say the word Kona, what do you what do you think? Oh mate, I just I'm sitting here just smiling from ear to ear. It's uh, yeah, I I'm, I as I said, I, I've seen it on TV and things, and um, mate, TV just does it no justice. If you're a triathlon fan, you've You've either got to get to Kona to compete one day or go to watch it. It's just, it's unbelievable. The town loves triathlon. It goes triathlon crazy. Yeah, I I really hope to get back there again um, in 2017. So, yeah, love the place. How long before race day did you get in? Was did you did you plan uh, some some time to to acclimatise and get used to the conditions on the island? Yeah. So being at Teaching works really well. Like you know, we we get good holidays and things. But the downside about being a teacher is, um, you don't get to pick when you take your holidays. Um, you know, we get set holiday times, and if you take them out, take holidays outside of that, it's unpaid. Um, so I tried to minimise the amount of leave that I took. I chatted with Reedy beforehand, so I flew out of Australia ten days before, um, and because of the time difference, actually landed ten days out as well. So. Um, gave myself a good 10 days. The first three days off the plane, I did really, really light training. Um, and, you know, Reedy had spoken to me about what to expect and um, things like that as well. So, yeah, I, I got there 10 days out in the hope of, um, yeah, 
acclimatising and getting used to the heat. Is that enough? Do you wish you had more or, or could you have gone sooner? Um, I was pretty happy with 10 days, actually. Um, I think it was enough time to um, kind of soak up what Kona had to offer outside because when I got there, there was no tent set up. The expo um, was only just getting set up. So it kind of gave me a bit of a vibe what the town was like without it. There was, you know, you'd see a scattering of bikes and people running and, you know, the people taking it seriously. And a lot of the pros were already there, obviously. Um, but, yeah, from about probably five to seven days out, the, the whole circus just rolled in the town. There were bikes everywhere. Um, I had a couple of mates that got there two weeks out, so 14 days out. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if I had um, to not take leave for work and, things like that. I probably would have liked to get there, you know, maybe 12 to 14 days out, but I think it can definitely be done on 10. I, I had a mate that got there four days out and flew in really late um, and did quite well as well. So um, I think it's just a personal thing. And as long as you've got your plans set early um, and you know what's going to happen, you know what to expect, um, you can kind of deal with it a bit, a bit better. And racing snakes as far as the eye can see, I'm sure. What was that? Sorry, I said racing snakes as far as the eye can see. Yeah, 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 for sure. W- was that intimidating? Did you did you think, gee, how did I end up here? Um, yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, <laughs> I got off the plane there and um, yeah, just got there and you just see people running along the Levy Drive and they just haven't got an ounce of fat on their body and you just. Yeah, you start thinking, oh, you know, maybe I got here easily or oh, you know, I haven't done the work. You know, I probably don't deserve to be here. But, um, yeah, they're all, they're all normal thoughts. Every, everyone's going to think that as soon as they see someone that's hooking along a leaky drive doing three-minute Ks that they're probably never going to do on race day anyway. Um, um, but, yeah, so I, you know, I just tried to take it all on board. And the whole time I was just smiling from ear to ear. So, um yeah, I was I was intimidated by by being there, but also um, really proud and happy to be there as well. Um, yeah. As far as your performance goes, eleventh in, in your age group, uh, you, you had a pretty solid. I mean, if you look at your race and look at your splits, you you made up time on each of the disciplines. I think you were eighteenth out of the water, thirteenth of the bike, and then finished eleventh. So you you were going forwards. That's always a good sign. Uh, do do you feel that looking back on that race now, is there anything that you think you could have done differently on the day that that may have improved your performance? Uh, in hindsight, um, I think I probably could have biked harder. Um, the whole climb up to Harvey, and you know, uh, until you're there and you've experienced it. So you know, getting there ten days out, I was lucky enough to be able to go out in the car and and drop off at the bottom of Harvey and, and ride up and down and um, and things like that. But um, I really – I had a lot of people back home watching um, and that were really, really keen on my result. And the last thing I wanted to do was blow up big time on the marathon. Um, and I was really wary of that last 20K of the marathon. So in hindsight, I, I probably held too many bickies back on the bike. Um, and probably, I, I, I underbiked a fair bit, I think. Um, but, you know, who's not to say that if I biked, you know, another five minutes quicker, I could have run 20 minutes slower in the marathon as well. Um, so, yeah, I, overly, I was really happy with my day. I was really, really happy with my swim to get out of the water um, where I did. Um, 
I rode pretty conservatively um, on the bike and was still happy. I think I got a 501 or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, I, I was absolutely pumped with the marathon. Um, 322 um, in those conditions, I, I was I was happy with. And as you say, I, I, I was content that I was still moving through the field. Um, yeah, so... Overall, I was absolutely pumped with the day. Yeah, I think I think that is a good sign. Uh, if you if you're going backwards on the run, that's uh, that is a concern. But you you obviously had, had paced your race pretty well. As far as lessons that that you've learnt out of out of Ironman, what would you say is the biggest the biggest lesson you've learnt out of the sport so far? Um, I think you just got to back yourself. I, I think that you, you know everyone's got their strengths and everyone knows where their where their strengths lie and. Um, you just you got to have a plan, um, but also be a little bit flexible in, in that if, if things happen in the race, you you've got to be able to you know tinker your plan here or there, not make massive changes, but tinker just to adapt to what's going on in the race, um, so that you're not left behind or you you know you're making the most of the skills that you've got. Um, on the whole, yeah, Ironman is um, it's one of those things that I think if you've got some sort of natural ability and you've done a little bit of work you can sometimes fluke a 70.3 you know you can, you can get away with if you haven't really done all of the work um, but in Ironman there's, there's just nowhere to hide I mean you know you're out there for you know the best of us nine hours and some people up to 17 hours if you haven't you haven't done the work um, yeah you're going to be found out it's going to get you at some point so for me it's just just being really strict and, and being with the teaching as well, just um, having clear timelines every day about, you know, what time I need to leave, what time I need to finish training um, and just, yeah, being quite structured and um, and making sure that I'm, you know, strict enough but also have enough downtime because it can consume your life and it, um, you know, if it consumes your life too much, it can become detrimental as well. Mm. Talk to me about the – you mentioned the structured bit of your training and, and your life and getting that in order. That, that's probably one of the biggest things and, and as far as emails go that I get with with people trying to get the balance right when it comes to, to training for an Ironman and being competitive. Uh, it's one thing just doing the miles, but if you, if you want to be competitive and be good at this thing and to balance that work and and family life and if you've, you're in a relationship, you like you say, you're engaged or if you, you're married with kids, it's – it's difficult to keep all those balls in the air. How, how do you do it? What what advice would you give to someone who's struggling with the time management side of things? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's consistency over craziness. Um, some people, you know, I'm not a massive mileage person. I mean, with my teaching and, and, the, and the commitments and the amount of time that I want to spend with my partner and, and things like just for me to get the balance, I'm probably looking at, you know, on a massive week for me during a school term. I'm probably doing maybe 15, 16 hours um, during school holidays when I've got the whole day and my partner's at work. I really ramp that up and I can get 25-hourish weeks in. I call them my, my pro weeks. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's just about prioritising the key sessions of the week. Um, so, you know, if we've got those three, four or five key sessions of the week, prioritising to make sure that they can get done um, you know, spacing them out so I've got enough time to recover um, and then kind of putting my commitments um, or my other training, which, you know, might just be like basic aerobic, which is obviously key, but if I was to miss a session, I prefer to miss that other than, 
um, a key session. Um, and then early mornings is, is, is a big one for me, um, especially in summer in Queensland, being a PE teacher, you know, you can nudge 40 degrees. We've just come off a heat wave here. We've had days, you know, five, 10 days in a row, 40 degrees. I'm a big believer in if, um, if we can get out early, get the training done, doesn't matter how bad or how sluggish I feel after being on the oval all day in 40 degrees, the session's already in the bank kind of thing. Um, so yeah, early mornings and that way it kind of allows me to do a shorter session of an afternoon, um, you know, and be sitting down at the table having dinner um, with my partner and still still getting some sort of balance um, there. Yeah, it's interesting you say getting it out early because I, I think we've all been guilty of it at some stage where you, you end up snoozing the alarm and then you end up negotiating yeah. for the rest of the day about when are you going out, when are you going out. But it, it's one of those things that the alarm goes off stop it get out of bed and, and do what you have to do because uh yeah at some stage it's gonna it's gonna have to be done and uh, you might as well get it over and done with yeah that's right and i mean i could probably put my hand up and say that probably it's only probably the last pardon me probably 10 months where i've really started to think um if i want to do this properly i really need to knuckle down it and and, pre- and previously i was really guilty of that i would, I'd snooze the alarm and as you say, you get to the afternoon and you think, oh, you know, I've got supposed to do two sessions today, I'm going to pick one and and ultimately, you know, if you miss one session a week, that's 52 sessions a year um, that someone else has probably done that you haven't done because um, you've slept in. So I, I, one of my little tricks is I put my phone um, away from my bed with the alarm on it so that way I have to physically get up out of bed to get the phone once I'm up my partner doesn't let me back in. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've tried that. My wife, my wife gets so angry because she's the one who has to get out of bed yeah. and turn the alarm off. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you just keep rolling over. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Jared, what's the biggest mistake you've made in your triathlon career and what have you learned from it? Um, I had one race in, um, it was actually Geelong, 2016. I went out and I just thought I was going to set the world on fire. And um, no, sorry, it wasn't. Um, so I can't remember the race, what race it was. But I, I went out and I, I hit the front pretty early in the bike and um, of my age group, and I just biked my legs to just bits. I had nothing. I got off the bike um, and I was gone. And I <laughs> literally just limped around on the run. And and it was after that race. It was when. Um, as I said, it was kind of at that point where I was missing a lot of sessions. I knew I had a little bit of natural ability and a bit of talent there to work with. Um, but it was at that point that I realized that if, if I'm actually serious about this, that you've got to do the sessions and, you know, you, you see the professionals, they can run well off a really, really hard and intense bike. And, um, uh, that it was Port Macquarie, which is quite a tough, uh, bike course. And it was, yeah, that day that I kind of realized that, you know, I need to make a decision here. I either need to um, give it all everything I've got and, and start doing every session and or you know, just be content with rolling around in the, in the age groups and, and that sort of thing. And um, So, yeah, that, that was probably a hard lesson. I, I went there with big hopes and I finished well down in the age group and everyone was asking me what was going on and it was at the point where I'd managed, I was lucky enough, I'd secured a... Um, fair few sponsors by that point and they were kind of saying what you know what happened there and I didn't have any answers for the moment um yeah it was kind of that was the point where I just had to look look deep and just say well 
up to you now. You've got, you know, you've got the ability. You've just got to work. So, yeah, I learnt the hard way that day. Mm. Jared, goals-wise, in an ideal world, if if we have this conversation twenty years from now, what what would you have want to have achieved in in your triathlon career? What do you what's what's on the cards? What's what's the plans? Oh, mate, the, the massive, massive goal. I'd be absolutely pumped if I ever, and it's probably every triathlete's goal. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to win Kona. Um, I'd love to. Um, I want to win it as an age grouper as well. Um, before before turning pro, so hopefully. I do well at Taupo um, in a couple of weeks, and um, and then yeah, build build into Kona again, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think I've got the ability to um, to be a, a professional that you know can do well um, race in race out, and um, yeah, I mean if I can um, look back in twenty years' time and have a chat with you in twenty years' time, and you know be able to find my name on a professional result sheet somewhere in the top 10 i think that's a win awesome well jared it's been great catching up thanks for your time today on the cone edge i look forward to getting you back on to talk a little bit about the individual disciplines your your swim your bike your run and then we'll chat a little bit about nutrition as well but we'll save that for another time thanks for for your time today too easy thanks brad anytime mate we hope you enjoyed this episode of the cone edge don't forget to connect with us on social media Simply search for the Kona Edge.